Go ahead and take your Bibles and open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. We are going through three chapters this morning. Buckle up, we are cruising along. And I need to warn you, this is a hard topic. These are three very difficult chapters. I've titled this, The Burden of Faithfulness. You know, often people have this view of, of religion or specifically Christianity that, that you become a Christian and like everything becomes happy and wonderful. And why are those other people, they're so happy and wonderful and they're followers of Jesus and just happy and wonderful all the time. And then like if you really dig into scripture, one thing you see is that God's people are not always happy and wonderful all the time. In fact, Being a Christian, following Christ, holding on to faith is hard. It sometimes is experienced by us even as a burden. Sometimes there are those moments you'll go through and say, it it almost would be easier to not hold on to faith in this moment. There's a burden to being faithful. There are times people will misunderstand us. There are times people will flat out disagree with us and at times even be overtly hostile to those who are seeking to live for the glory of God. And all of this is laid out for us in scripture. And so it's good to have an accurate view. We want to be people that hold on to God's word and what God says. And God tells us there are times of difficulty. And the reason I think that's so important is that if we accept this view of being a Christian, that it's all just easy and wonderful, and then young people become Christians, and it's easy and it's wonderful, and then hardship comes. And they're drawn to two possible conclusions. I must not be a very good Christian because it's so easy and wonderful for everybody else, so there's something wrong with me. Or the other one is, it must not be true. So I want us to have an accurate view, so that when the hardships come, because they will, we can say, my God told me about this. And he's given us examples of how to deal with some of these things. In these three chapters, Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6, Nehemiah is seeking to be faithful to the Lord. And the hardships he's going to face is because he's seeking to be faithful to the Lord, There's a whole other sermon that I could preach about hardships we face because we struggle and stumble and mess up and and make bad choices. That's a whole different sermon. That's not what this is about. This is Nehemiah seeking to be faithful. You know, there's times my, some of my kids are here. I'll be careful. There's time, there's times hypothetical children come to hypothetical parents. (laughs) It's hard to be the kid of a pastor. And, and, you know, they come and they say, so-and-so did this to me. Oh, that's really awful. Yeah, and then they said this and did that. I'm just thinking, this is horrible. What what in the world is going on that my other child is being such a demon? What is the hypothetical children? What's going on? (laughs) And then if you've been a parent for a while, you know there's another important question to ask. What did you do? I punched them. Oh, well, maybe, you, I mean, quietly in the quietness of my own mind, I'm thinking maybe you deserved all that. But, but it's important to understand as we're dealing with this, this is the burden of 
faithfulness. I'm talking about things that happen when we're trying to be faithful, trying to hold on to faith and be obedient to God. I'm not talking about people that are living their lives poorly and just doing horrible things and the consequences that come. That's another sermon. Nehemiah is seeking to be faithful. Now, if you remember a bit of the background of this sermon series, we're going through Ezra and Nehemiah, and I've called this God at Work. And the history of Israel is that God makes this relationship with these people through this man, Abram. And then they, they end up in Egypt and he saves them. And he brings them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and into the promised land. And, and there's this, this growing excitement. This is where everything is going to go right. This is where they're going to live in this perfect, right relationship with their God. And the Old Testament tells us they messed up again and again and again. And again and again, God calls them back. Again and again, he gives them grace and favor and mercy. And again and again, he sends warnings to them. Come back to me. I love you too much to let you go. If you don't come back to me, I'm going to allow foreign armies to come in and conquer you. And maybe there in exile, you will turn back to me. And that's exactly what happens. They're taken out of their homes into exile. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah pick up the history when the people are returning back to the promised land. God and his sovereign mercy is moving to bring them back home. And they have this excitement again. Let's do it right this time. And time after time, you see them trying to be very careful to be obedient to the Lord. And like I think many of us can identify with, they're still struggling. And things don't always go well for them. And in these chapters, 4, 5, and 6, Nehemiah faces particular difficulty from enemies. Enemies that are those people out there that are out to get us. We see that in in chapters 4 and 6. And then in chapter 5, it's sort of enemies that are mistreating each other among God's people and the hardships that are being caused there. Now, I want to be sensitive to this. As we talk about some of these things, you are going to have people's names and faces pop into your head. Things that you have been through, ways that people have hurt you, and that's hard. I'm struggling with that myself. This is a hard sermon for me. I'm going to try to get through it. (laughs) These things are hard, and so I want to give us kind of three rungs of a ladder to move through. Okay, as we read the scripture, the first rung is who are the enemies and what are they doing? This is an important step. This is the step where we might think of other people and maybe in your past or maybe in your present. People that are hurting you now and you're enduring it. And it is right and it is appropriate to identify what somebody else is doing and to say that is out of line with what God wants. But... We have to be careful not to stop on this rung. If we stop on that rung of just identifying those people and how awful they are, we will become bitter. And that is not what the Lord wants for us. The next rung as we climb up the ladder here is how does Nehemiah respond? What is it we should do in response to these things? What is an appropriate response? 
Nehemiah is going to show us some of the things that he did. We're going to see some of the things the people did. And they're challenging and also encouraging. And some of them are great examples for us. But we also need to be careful not to just get stuck here. Because we can live our lives looking at difficult situations and saying, well, I'm going to do this. And if we're not careful, we can now grow into pride. Well, I've got all this figured out, and this is what I did, and and if they all would have just done what I told them to do, then everything would have worked out fine. So we need to go one more rung in the ladder. We need to apply faith to these difficult situations. Throughout this passage, I want us to look at what is Nehemiah trusting in about God? How is he applying his faith? As he looks at the enemies and he sees them through the lens of faith, How is he doing that? As he makes decisions, what he's going to do, how is he doing it through a lens of faith? What is it about what Nehemiah trusts in that is driving how Nehemiah responds? That's where we need to get to as we walk through this, okay? Because it is quite possible, especially as we move on in this book, Nehemiah isn't always a great example of how to respond to situations, Sometimes, I would suggest, he does the wrong thing. But what we do want to follow is our God is the same God that Nehemiah was trusting in then. He is bigger than our situations just as he was then. How do we trust in that God? Might look different for us, but how do we have the same faith? We need to remember As we think about these things and as we think about the idea of people being enemies, we need to be careful. We are not always right in our judgment. We are not always right in our responses. And again, we can go elsewhere in scripture, but I want to look at these passages. So let's look at this burden of faithfulness in ways that it's not easy. And three burdens we end up carrying as we seek to be faithful to the Lord, just like they did. And the first is a burden of courage. The need to have courage in the face of profound and sometimes very difficult opposition. Look at verses four, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. When Sanballat heard that, they were rebuil- or that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. We've been looking, uh, first we looked at Zerubbabel at the beginning of Ezra. He led a group back to rebuild the temple. Ezra goes back at the second half of the book of Ezra, and he goes back to kind of reinstitute an understanding and a teaching of God's word, God's law. And now here in Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes back into uh, Israel. He returns from exile, and his point, his purpose, is to rebuild the wall. They are without protection. They're trying to rebuild, but, but they lack the protection of the wall around the city. 
And so here we read that these enemies are mocking them. They're judging what they're doing and saying that it's not enough, that the Israelites are not good enough, and that they're going to fail. Have you ever experienced that in your life? People that just mock you, mock what you're doing, mock the group that you're a part of, and say, you'll never be good enough, you'll never succeed. Those things have a way of worming their way deep into your heart and undermining your motivation. It's also interesting that these are influential people. Sanballat and Tobiah were regional officials, not Jewish people, but they had positions of authority. Their word carried weight. These were not just people on the sidelines mocking. These are people with crowds around them, and they're leading these people in mocking. Their goal is to frustrate the people who are being faithful. Now, I would suggest it's very possible they don't even know that that's their goal. It might not be their stated purpose, but that's exactly what they are doing. And Nehemiah understands that. Sometimes when people are in this position, they'll say, well, I'm just trying to be be wise. I'm not trying to be critical. But you look at the attitude with which things are said and the things that are said that are just mean and judgmental and they undermine what's going on and there's no encouragement. You say, this is designed to frustrate people. And what's Nehemiah's response? I love this. Verse 4, hear us, our God. He just cries out to God. He doesn't get up in these people's face. He cries out to the Lord in prayer. And he keeps being faithful. You'll see throughout these chapters, these horrible attacks by the enemies. And yet these statements of, and we built the wall. What's Nehemiah doing as these people are attacking him? He keeps on leading the people in faithfulness. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. It's amazing how Nehemiah has faith. He trusts in the Lord. He cries out in prayer, but he also steps out and he gets to work. And this is a theme throughout the life of Nehemiah. Faith coupled with action. If we just have action without faith, we're trusting in ourselves. If we just have faith, but we never step out in faithfulness and obedience, how do we know that we're actually trusting? It might just be empty words. Nehemiah steps out in faith. And now the enemy's attack gets worse. Look at verses 7 to 15. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Who are the enemies here and what are they doing? It's the same people. It's this Sanballat, Tobiah. They're gathering people along with them. And what they are doing is making secret plans to sneak into the city while the people are working and do physical harm to them. Now, I pray that this doesn't have uh, memories associated with it for you. But at the same time, for some of you, it very well might. You very well might have faced a constant threat of someone doing physical bodily harm to you. And that's what's going on here. These people are plotting not just to annoy them, not just to undermine them. They're going to go in and kill them. And this word comes to the Israelites. They hear about it. And here they are working hard. And now their very lives are at stake. And it's interesting how they cry out. The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble. We cannot rebuild the wall. It's like on top of all the hardship of what we're doing. Now we have this. How, Nehemiah, how are we supposed to go on? And I love what Nehemiah does. We prayed to our God and we posted a guard. We trusted in the Lord and we took action. Combine faithfulness and faith in action. Nehemiah is a good leader. He looked around the wall and he said, there are some low points. This is where they could get in. This is where we're going to post a guard. This is where we're going to protect ourselves. What's interesting too is it seems like they stopped working on the wall for at least a day or so. Because they knew this attack was coming and they wanted to be prepared for it. They meet the threat. The people find out that they're not going to be successful, that the Israelites are ready for it. The threat goes away. And what do the people do? What does Nehemiah do? They get back to work. Right back to being faithful. They meet the threat and get back to work. And I love this faith that Nehemiah shows. He knows, as hard as it is to think about these people sneaking in under the cover of night through these lower parts of the wall, as dangerous as this is, he has a bigger picture of God. And he tells the people, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. For the rest of this chapter, they continue to work. Nehemiah lays out a plan through the end of chapter 4 where the people will work, some of them with a sword right by their side. He has a plan to rally them with a horn that they'll all come. And it's a powerful picture because Nehemiah basically says he's going to be right there in the thick of it and they are to rally to him if the horn sounds. And then we look at verse 23. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. All times, in every way, no matter what they were doing, they kept going. This is a burden of faithfulness. They had to show courage in the midst of overwhelming odds and constant threats. These people are tired and they kept on going. 
as we seek to be faithful to the Lord, there will be those that want to undermine what we're doing, intentionally or unintentionally. And their comments, they start getting in under our skin and they might threaten to derail our courage and we think, I don't know if I can go on. Sometimes it's even more overt and it seems like they're attacking us. Sometimes it might even, unfortunately, be physical. Courage is a burden that we bear as we seek to be faithful. We have to hold on to it and say our God is bigger. I'm trusting him. It requires that we know who God is from his word so that we can face these circumstances and these situations and say, my God is bigger. Therefore, I will hold on and keep going. The threats here in this passage are not just from these enemies out there. There's a threat that comes from among God's people as well. And I've called this the burden of service. Here they are trying to rebuild the wall and many of the people are making great sacrifices. Nehemiah is making a lot of sacrifices and there's hardships that come along the way. Look at chapter 5, 1 through 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others are saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. What's going on here is that these people are so busy building the wall, they don't have time to maintain their own farms or their own shops, their own homes. And they're going into debt. And so they're going to people, their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, probably more wealthy, more powerful people, and saying, I need to borrow some money. And these people see an opportunity to get rich. So they're loaning them money and charging a lot of interest. So they're being faithful to the Lord And serving him, meanwhile, they're losing a lot and sacrificing a lot personally. What's interesting is that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God's word, God's law, specifically commands the Israelites, don't charge each other interest. It was forbidden for a Jew to charge a fellow Jewish person interest. And yet that's exactly what these people are doing. This is the threat. The enemy, in this case, is people looking to make a buck in a difficult situation. They're taking advantage. Instead of serving their fellow brothers and sisters, they're taking advantage of it. In verses 6 through 13, Nehemiah calls the leaders together and he rebukes them. Verse 6 is interesting. It says, when I heard their outcry in these charges, I was very angry. Nehemiah, as a leader, looks at what the people are doing to each other. And his response at this injustice is he is furious. The Hebrew word here is very strong. He is furious. In fact, it's so strong that in the next uh, verse, or yeah, it says, I pondered them in my mind. And that phrase is sort of like I step back to collect my thoughts. He's so mad at this situation and what they're doing and how wrong it is. 
And he orders them to give back everything that they have taken. And amazingly enough, the people agree. Nehemiah even admits in verse 10, he has lent money. He hasn't charged interest, but he's lent money. And he's thought about this and thought, you know, this is not the time for loans. This is the time for gifts. I need to serve my people. He tells the people then, verse 9, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies. Here's the burden of service, or service rather. We say there's a higher priority. I am seeking the glory of God in this moment, in what I do, and I'm seeking the glory for you. I want you to bring glory to the Lord. And so these other things that I might need to do, have to do, want to do, they're going to be set to the side because I'm here to serve. This is part of the burden of faithfulness. There are so many times we have to set aside what we want, what we need in order to serve. In the rest of the chapter, verses 14 through 19, Nehemiah gets really personal. He talks about that he hasn't taken the money that was set aside for the governor. That other guys had done this, but he decided not to. And then something interesting in verses 17 through 19, he then goes on to say, but I have all these nobles and officials that ate at my house around my table. And he he lays out how much he had to feed them. And it is a lot. What Nehemiah is saying is he didn't take money from the people as, as was due him as a governor, but he still fed all these nobles and officials. Where did he get that money from? It was his. Nehemiah takes his own wealth. He had been very high up in Persia. He evidently was a fairly wealthy man. He is taking out of his own bank account to serve others. He's doing it as an act of service. As we live faithful to the Lord, we must serve others. And friends, at times that will come at great personal cost and great personal hardship. And that can be quite a burden. We need to keep going in our faithfulness and in our service because it is such a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ who left the throne room of heaven to serve us. We need to step out in service. Chapter 6 then returns to these enemies again from chapter 4. They are not done in their scheming. They have a new attack and it is a very personal, a targeted Uh, targeted attack against Nehemiah. And I called this the burden of integrity. I think a good definition of integrity is consistently doing the right things for the right reasons. Consistently. Whether people know it or not, you keep on doing the right things for the right reasons. And in this chapter, the enemies will attack publicly Nehemiah's integrity. Look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Now, understand what's going on. They are inviting him to a meeting to work things out. That's that's the cover here. Work things out. But that's not what they want to do. 
They want to attack him and undermine him and ridicule him. This is not about working things out. The other thing that's interesting is where they're inviting him to. This is a good day's journey from Jerusalem. He would have to take a day to get there, have the meeting, and take a day to get back. And all that time, the work would stop. And how does Nehemiah respond? I can't meet with you. Oh, how dare a leader not meet with somebody? Shouldn't he be sensitive to their needs and their wants? No, not in this case. Because he knows what they're trying to do. And he says, I cannot stop being faithful, what God has given me to do, in order to come and meet with you when he knows because of the past history with them, all they want to do is attack and undermine him. And if there was any question whether or not he judged appropriately here, look at what happens next. This happens four times. Then the fifth time, Sanballat uh, sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. This is blackmail, just flat out, a threat and blackmail. And what's really interesting, I looked this up, that in his hand was an unsealed letter. Do you know what an unsealed letter meant? See, a seal meant I've written this for you and for your eyes only. If somebody handed you a letter and it was not sealed and said, yeah, this needs to go to so-and-so, and you look at it and go, it's not sealed, you would go, I get to read this. This is an open public letter that is meant for public distribution. Oh, if I had to give something contemporary significance, I would say like an email that just goes blasted out to everybody. That's what's going on here. They send an open letter and understand what's in this letter. They are blatant, outright lies, complete fabrications that Nehemiah is trying to set himself up as a king and he's building the wall as an act of revolt. Why is Nehemiah building the wall? Because God told him to. He's being faithful and they're accusing him of sin. And again, they have this threat. Come, let's meet together. This is outright attacks on Nehemiah, his character and his integrity. And it's interesting, they're proof of this. It is reported among the nations, Nehemiah, everybody knows you're doing this. But they have a witness, right? We have somebody that will testify that it's true. Who is it? Geshem says it's true. Who's Geshem? Well, if you look back at chapter 6, verse 1, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, not a gap was left in it. This guy's part of their posse. He's one of their buddies. Here they are getting together. We'll report that this is true, and you can identify that it's true, and you can be the witness. They're all just working together. These are lies and fabrications that have no place among the Lord's people. And how does Nehemiah respond? Verse 3, 
He refuses to work with them because he has to keep on working and keep being faithful. Verse 8, after this very public attack, Nehemiah simply states that what they're saying is wrong and he gets back to work. Verse 9, he knows they're trying to weaken him and others trying to make their hands weak. And so he prays, Lord, strengthen my hands. Where is Nehemiah's focus? It's not on the attacks and the enemies. It's on the greater work that needs to be done in faithfulness. And he keeps on going. But the enemies aren't done yet. As if that wasn't bad enough. If we look where they go next. In verses 10 through 13, we read this. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. These people are horrible. They hire somebody who evidently was a known prophet or at least was saying that what he was saying was a prophet message from God. And Nehemiah goes to visit this man at his house because this guy refuses to leave his house. The implication is he's trying to say, this is a scary situation, Nehemiah. I'm just hunkered down in my house. You need to come to me. This is terrifying. I'm just living in fear and you should be in fear too. Everything's going to fall apart. And here's what we need to do, Nehemiah. Let's go into the temple. Let's lock the doors. Now, As modern readers reading this, there's a part that might say, yeah, okay, this is a threatening situation. Sure, go into the temple, lock the doors. It was against the word of God. It was against God's law for Nehemiah to enter the temple. This would have been a sin. This man is claiming to be from the Lord and is enticing Nehemiah to do something that would publicly erode and undermine his credibility so that these enemies can say, see, See what he did. He's not worthy to be your leader. And Nehemiah tells him, I will not go. And Wednesday night, the men looked at 2 Chronicles 26. as We were walking through some passages in Isaiah, and we, we were reading about who King Uzziah was. And that's exactly what King Uzziah did. He was so faithful in so many ways, but then one day he goes into the temple where he should not have been. And he tries to offer incense, which he should not have done. And he gets punished by the Lord because of it. And Nehemiah knows this. He says, I will not do that. That is wrong. But that's not enough for them. He also says they've hired other prophets to do this. And then in verses 16 through 19, we learn that these enemies are sending letters to Jewish leaders who are sending letters back to the enemies. And they're all working together and reporting against Nehemiah. And they're all working against him. And what does Nehemiah do? Verse 15, in the midst of all these attacks, all this public undermining of Nehemiah and his credibility, all these distractions, I love this verse, verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. 
What was Isaiah doing? He kept on working. He said, I will not be distracted by this. I will be faithful. He trusted that his God was bigger. And he stuck to his integrity instead of getting down in the dirt with them. And he kept on being faithful. And and as I thought about this, I thought, you know, the letter that went out that just spread these lies. Nehemiah couldn't go person by person and say, this is why this lie is wrong. This is why it's wrong. There are people now in Israel believing lies that have been spread about Nehemiah. And there's nothing he can do about it except keep on being faithful. Keep on being faithful. This is the burden of integrity. There will be times that people will say things about you, especially as you seek to be faithful to the Lord. And they will try to undermine you and you will want to fight against it with everything that you have. Keep on being faithful. Keep on following where the Lord is leading you. Keep on digging into his word and living it out in your life. Keep on being faithful. And these three very difficult chapters, again and again, we see Nehemiah trusting the Lord. He knew that God was bigger. He knew that the Lord had sent him on this mission at this time to rebuild the wall, and he would not let anything get in the way of that. Friends, all too often we are sidetracked by things. Sometimes lesser things that are just distractions, sometimes greater things that are attacks and and personal attacks or public attacks. And we're led astray by those as well. And so often it's because our picture of God is just way too small. This is why we pour over texts like this. Passages that you might read and say, this has nothing to do with me. One day, and I pray this doesn't happen, but one day for you it might And you'll need something to step back and say, is my God bigger than personal attacks? I remember Nehemiah. My God is bigger. And I can keep on being faithful. And friends, we have something Nehemiah didn't. He had the Old Testament. He had the covenant. He had the promise. He had the history of God working with his people. And that's so powerful. We have the cross of Jesus Christ. When we doubt, God, are you big enough? Are you strong enough? Can you lead me through this? All we have to do is look to the cross. Romans 8, 31 to 39 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you're here today and you're going through a time like Nehemiah, 
and you're feeling that attack, you're feeling that threat, and your knees are buckling, listen to the word of the Lord. He who gave his son to die in your place is still reigning on the throne, and he loves you, and he is for you, and he is actively at work. And yes, it's a burden, and there are times you feel like you're not going to be able to go on, but your God is bigger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us as your people not to build a wall, but to be light in this world. And God, as the world continues to get more and more dark, it's harder and harder to be light. And there are times when we shine the light of of your truth in this world that people hate us and they attack us. There are times and moments of disagreement that we, we attack each other and we hurt one another instead of serving one another. There are times when our integrity is undermined and threatened and false accusations are made. And Father, there are even times that some might feel the threat of a physical attack. And God, I pray this morning, if I've done nothing else, that I have turned their eyes to you. As Nehemiah constantly looked up to you and said, God, you are bigger. And then he said, I will step out in faithfulness. May we do the same. May we have a picture of you that is so far greater than any of the enemies, any of their attacks, any of the hardships and struggles that we face. Following you, trusting you is at times a heavy burden. But God, we also have the promise that one day we will be perfect in your presence and all burdens will be lifted and all things will be seen in the light of truth for what they truly are. And I pray in that moment, Father, we can say, I was faithful to you and I just kept on going. Lead us, Father. Give us that big picture of who you are through the power of your word. And thank you for Jesus who has conquered our sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection. It is in his name we pray. Amen.